Hey folks, welcome to Pivot Point. My name is Joseph DiBiase and this is my podcast. Welcome back everybody, Pivot Point today. Another Pivot Point episode, second of the year. And I just have to say, what in the hell was that about last week at the Capitol? Now, this is not a political show. We're not going to go there. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. But what in the hell was that? I think we all know what that was. But I can't wrap my head around it. Never in my life have I thought I would see a day where rioters would attack the Capitol, it being undefended the way it was, and these rioters had noose, bombs, zip ties, weapons. What in the hell? All right. I just could not do this podcast without going there. I know we're all there. We all see it, and a lot of us are not like quite getting past it. All I can say is we have to keep our voice, vote, and speak up. Because what the hell? All right. So, <laughs> do you remember last week I was telling you about the show that I've been on? And uh, I've been talking about it for, what, a month or so, maybe more? Um, so we started our dub today, and we are on a two-week dub, and we don't have score yet. Now, that's not entirely unusual. I've been on projects before where the score gets flown in at the very end. And that's what's going to happen here. But it is interesting that this is where we are. Now, one thing I want to say is I spent the day at my home studio and was taking part in the dub through Zoom. Very interesting way to work. I was able to answer questions that needed to be answered, questions that I heard other people ask I had the answers to. It was almost like being there. The only downside was I just couldn't hear it. I mean, I could hear through Zoom, but you know, you're not going to judge a mix through that crap. I mean, nothing personal Zoom, but it's not the highest fidelity for mixing film. However, there are some companies that provide a service where they can pipe you a high-fidelity sound and a high-quality picture to your location that can come straight from the dub stage. There's a wee bit of a lag so that when, let's just say, the dub stage stops. and But for you, it's still going because you're kind of catching up. But that's not a big deal. You're hearing high fidelity with high quality. And if you have to wait, what, three seconds, five seconds? What's the big deal? 
Now, of course, that's going to cost X amount of dollars per day. But if the production wants to pony it up, people can, and I shouldn't say people, key personnel can partake in the dub from all over the world. That's amazing. I don't know. I think a lot more people are going to take advantage of this. And I got to say, it was more than convenient to work from home. Now, tomorrow, I'm going to go to the stage in the afternoon. I'll work from home in the morning. At the lunch break, I'll have lunch, and then I'll zip up to the stage. And this is mainly because of the COVID protocol. Um, And I don't really mind spending a couple hours there, but I don't want to spend a full day there. And so this is how we're handling it. I know. I mean, really, does it take three hours, two hours, one minute to catch COVID? So apparently there are high level protocols going on and that makes me feel a whole lot better. Plus I'm going to have a mask. Actually, I'm going to double mask with a shield, lots of uh, hand sanitizer, and maybe I'll be wearing gloves. Just as long as I can hear and see, right? (laughs) What kind of world are we living in today? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. Today's guest is the wonderful Sally Bolt. Sally is a music editor. You know that movie, Soul? Have you seen it yet? That animation movie? She's the music editor on that film. And that film has score, it has jazz, and it has live performance. I mean, all right, it's an animation, but it's live performance. And pulling all of that music together from different types of genres, that's a gig. So today you're going to hear her story. You're going to hear how she got started, where she grew up, how she grew up. You know, the typical things you hear on Pivot Point. But what's interesting to me is that so many of us, as we hit that young adult stage and we go off to college, we have a little bit of an idea of what we want to do. But many of us don't always end up doing that. Life and circumstance come together and bring us to a direction. And you're going to hear that about Sally's life. It, it, it rings so true to so many of us. And even in the middle of her career, she took time off and pursued something else. And then went back into it, which rang really true for me because, as you know, I did something similar. All right, let's get to it. Sally Bolt and I talking about her pivot points. Hey, Sally, how are you? So far, so good. How are you? 
I'm good, thank you. Looking very professional there. Well, thanks, and welcome to the show. Do you like my yeah. hair? I'm, my hair is down to my shoulders now, by the way. I like it. Yeah. I like it. I'm kind of liking it myself. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a tied back today? Uh, not today. Today I just have it down. I, um, I'll have a tied back later. Is it longer than mine? Um, I think I might be the same length. Yeah. Yeah, yours looks better, though. <laughs> well, I don't know. I can't really tell. Yeah, got well, head. I know because I've got my, I've got the headphones mine's, on. Mine's long for how I like to, to wear it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I could it, usually just be a little bit trimmed up. A little race. trimmed. Now, yeah. Sally, were you yeah. in New York? Yeah, yeah. Because I seem I to think we ran into each other somewhere. Like you were. I started as a, as a picture apprentice in New York in the in the 1930s. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And then I, I moved to LA in the, mid, in the mid 80s. Okay. As a picture assistant. And then shortly after got it started music editing. Wow. And then I've been, I've worked, I mean, I've gone to New York here and there on shows, uh -huh. but, you know, but I have lived in New York since then. And you're from New York. Yeah. Okay. Manhattan? Born in New York Hospital. Okay. Um, when I was little, we moved to Englewood, New Jersey, which is two towns over the George Washington Bridge. Yeah. 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 Okay. And so uh, growing up in New York, was your family in the arts? Um, yeah. Uh, my mother um, had been an actress, and then she was in live television production. Um and uh, my f <laughs> my father was, I guess, suppose briefly in the arts. He um, was a ghost writer for a soap opera called Love of Life uh -huh. um, for a little while, and uh, he was a he was a writer. He did he did mostly corporate writing. So, but that that was that was the only kind of thing squarely on the entertainment side. So, my mother had been an actress, and she did, then she was in live television production, and then stopped working to have kids, and never really got back into mm -hmm. it. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, she played the piano, and so we, you know, just kind of as a hobby. And she was very good, actually. But so we had a piano in the house. Oh, nice! Yeah. And did you play? I play, well, I used to play, uh -huh. uh, I used to play, you know, that well enough that I could play in front of anybody and not be embarrassed. Uh -huh. um, yeah. And then after years of, you know, our schedules and, you know, not being able to practice, um, uh, actually, like in the last month or two, I kind of like went back to it because I uh, uh, had, uh, after the after the election, I had a little more time on my hands and I was just dismayed to see how far back I had. So I, I would say 2000, 2000, 2002 was the last time I played well. And mm. then, you know, just like, uh, I used to be able to play my scales at 122 beats per minute. And oh, now nice. I've worked my, now I've worked my way up from 72 to, to 80 this week. I'm at 80. I mean, Good it's for just, you. But uh, I mean, I just lost, like, I can't, it's terrible how yeah. much I've lost it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like anything, you know, if we don't use it, the dexterity yeah. goes, the muscle memory goes, the internal timing. You know, I was surprised how yeah. 
much I had lost it. And I also used to play flute um, oh, no really well. I mean, I was, my teacher thought I was conservatory bound, but um, I mean, then I hadn't played flute. I thought I would always be able to play. And like, I just couldn't believe mm. how far gone that's, how far down that's gone. Yeah. So when you were a kid, then you were quite into music. If you were a pianist and playing flute, um, were you into any other arts while you were growing up? Um, no, and I, I don't think that I, I don't think I knew I was into music until I was a little bit older. Like my parents made us take, my mother made us take piano lessons. Me and my brother was two years older than me. Mm -hmm. And, um, Michael, he didn't really like piano. So my parents got him onto classical guitar and he kind of, he quit that after a while. And I, I quit as well. Mm. And in fourth grade, we were allowed to join the band. And my neighbors were a year and two years older than me. They were all playing flute. So I'm like, well, I'll play flute. And it was just sort of something that I did. And yeah. I was kind of, I was good at it. And I guess I had a little bit of an OCD personality even then. So I like practiced. And then at a certain point, like in high school, I was like, and I, I, I listened to a lot of music and I, and I, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, I realized, oh, like, yeah, I really do like music. And yeah. then I, I decided I wanted to play piano as, again as well. So for a while, I was playing both of them sort of through through college. But and then um, uh, I started out in college as pre-med, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of what my parents wanted me to do. But then mm. I quickly realized that my heart was not in that. And I... Um, I uh, I fell into this um, interesting program at, in college. At the time, it was called semiotics, which is kind of misleading. Now it's called modern culture and, uh, modern culture and media studies. Mm. But we would take these film classes and we would read like Marx and Freud and we would talk about like the movement of cattle is like the flow of libido, you know, like <laughs> in a John Western, John Ford Western or something. Yeah. You know? So it was really fascinating and it was a completely different take on, it was just like a really different way of thinking about things and kind of becoming much more conscious of sort of like the ideological underpinnings of mm -hmm. things that we just kind of don't think about and just take for granted. And film studies was kind of what it was anchored around, even though there was literature and psychoanalytic theory involved as well but so that was kind of when I really got into film and uh -huh. and um was in college yeah what was it that that intrigued you about it is it because of the human journey that human connection um it was well I think it was it was really um I mean I guess I had you know kind of like always enjoyed watching movies but the the coursework like I said it was just um it was a challenge to think about things in a different way. Mm -hmm. That was really exciting. And it was like, wow, I never thought about it that yeah, way. Sure. You know, it was, it was kind of revelatory. And um, it, it was as much the, um, the process of critical thinking as it was mm. the films themselves. Mm -hmm. It wasn't necessarily like, oh my God, I love this movie or that movie for whatever reason. It was just that medium kind of like as a, 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 a cultural 
artifact and an, as an, an expression of uh, zeit, the zeitgeist yeah. in, a, in a way that might be witting or unwitting to the filmmakers. Mm -hmm. um, and in a way, it, it, it bred a, a kind of a healthy sort of cynicism, I would say. <laughs> Um, but sure. Because, uh, and, and I, I gravitated toward um, films that were uh, very much outside the mainstream and much more, you know, experimental and that kind of like turn things upside down and, you know, uh, and became a more um, articulate uh, critic of mainstream products because I kind of like you know, learned how to kind of think about what it was that I objected to. <laughs> sure. Well, I think that's really amazing, especially at a, an age within college uh, age group, to be able to have that kind of an awareness to, to really see past mainstream yeah. and dig deeper. Yeah. And, um, what, what do you think you, what could you attribute that to in your life? Was there something in your growing up? Were your, were your parents, um, were they that way? Was it a way to kind of not look at mainstream things or what was that? Um, I, I'm not, I, I, I'm 99% sure that I'm, that I'm not alone in kind of, just in attributing it to um, to stumbling across um, this kind of um, thinking that was present, um, kind of nascent in academia mm -hmm. at the time, mm -hmm. and then, um, uh, for example, uh, this one professor who. Um, I mean, he was like a magnet, like for those of us who sort of, I mean, there, there are some people who just, you know, kind of like didn't get it or didn't care, but there were so many people who, um, like myself, would just have, you know, called him like a mentor and more for just like, it was just something that was really exciting. And I don't, uh, I mean, I happened to kind of stumble across it. And I guess there was something in me that made me kind of, you know, open to it um but uh and he, he um we a bunch of us um learned recently that he passed away at the end mm. of august and there's going to be a zoom memorial for him in um uh, early january and there's just like a huge number of people from like you know who we taught like years mm. who kind of feel the same way mm -hmm. um like uh, so, and, and, and he, he chaired the department, he founded the department and kind of like developed the syllabus for it. And, and, um, uh, uh, the, the, the coursework was very much kind of like at the core of, um, our social lives. We were kind of like the punk rock intellectuals. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> there yeah. was kind of like a, a rebellious aspect to it, I suppose, but uh -huh. we were like, deeply into our studies we weren't like messing around like yeah. just just you know like whatever getting stoned or something at our parents expense it's at college and not working at you know we were deeply in in into you know all the readings and 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 the and and the coursework but it was it was something that we kind of lived and breathed and we yeah. talked about it like you know just like hanging out with our friends like you know we read passages from books to each other and you know it was just um, uh, 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 really an, an enriching and, and yeah. great experience. How fortunate. So, 
Yeah. That's really amazing to be able yeah. to have that. Um, that really kind of gave you a foundation as a young adult to really start knowing what you like, what you dislike, and yeah. then have like a, a way to see the world, a way to process the world, you know? Um, so when you were done with college, it sounds to me like you may have wanted to go into that kind of thinking, like psychological, dig deeper, um, how did you get into film and why picture when you had music? What was like, tell me more about your life at that point. What was happening there for you? Well, when I finished college, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, except that I wanted to do something in film. And so I moved back to New York and um, my sister uh, lived in the city and um, was just getting divorced from her husband and they had a kid and, she had an extra room and offered me a situation where I could live with her uh, and help take care of my nephew a couple of days a week. And because she had to, she had mm -hmm. to go to school. And it's actually sort of part of the story. She had to be out of the house before it was time to take him to to daycare in the morning. Right. So, um, uh, her she was it, it was an amicable separation in her. Uh, so I moved in in her. The, um, you know, her ex-husband said, oh, you know, there's these people because he he owned the, build, the rest of the building and he owned the brownstone across the street. And he said, there are these people, um, they're just uh, moving in upstairs and across the street and they're making a movie and maybe they need some help. I'll introduce you. And so it was uh, it was a paramount feature of uh, found footage. Um, rather than filmed, it was yeah. called, it came from Hollywood and it was like clips of like B horror movies. <laughs> so they were, it was all post, there was no principal photography. So, so I just kind of got this job. Oh, I, I worked, I, I was worked, I helped out the producer during the day in the production office. And uh -huh. at the end of the day, I would go across the street to the editing room. And it was just this guy's big apartment too. He had two full stories in a brownstone. He turned wow. it into the editing rooms. And there were like 10 people over there. There were like two picture editors and a couple of assistants and sound editors and, and an apprentice and so, you know, an assistant, whatever. And at the end of the day, I would go over there and to see if like there was anything I could do to help. And invariably there was. So I kind of, so I got into picture editing just through this fluke, you know, yeah. this, so this coincidence. And then, um, Similarly, my second job just kind of fell into my lap in editing through uh, literally running into a high school friend of mine in the staircase in a club. Wow. <laughs> hey, what are you doing? I told, he said, oh, my mother's making this movie and she needs an assistant editor. Oh, okay. So uh, that was a documentary and um, we, we got funding from PBS, which meant that she was able to hire a professional editor and so so then I just I got into editing I didn't even know that music editing existed uh -huh. and I hadn't even really thought about in all the film stuff that I had done like had really never thought about film music in mm -hmm. my mind they mm -hmm. they I had never really made the connection yeah and uh I think um that I, at a certain point I I was a little bit disillusioned with you know, kind of people are, oh, well, you know, you're passionate about film and you're making a living, you know, doing what you're doing. But, you know, I mean, I was an assistant or an apprentice, an apprentice or an assistant editor working on, you know, 
these mainstream things that I wasn't that passionate about. Mm. So I did try to go, I, I considered going into academia and I did a semester of grad school um, at San Francisco State University. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, it's kind of a long story. It, it wasn't really a great program there. And um, it was it was disappointing because mm-hmm. I kind of had higher hopes for what it would be. And at the time, like the best program was at Iowa State, and I didn't kind of want to go to Iowa. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I was kind of like, gee, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I decided not to stay on at State. So I like moved back to New York and decided what, you know, oh, what am I going to do? And then someone called and, you know, oh, were you interested in, you know, being an assistant? And I kind of needed to make some money. So anyway, that's kind of the uh, that's, that's fascinating. A long, a long version of the short version of the story. And then, um, yeah, so then I, I, I moved out here, a, a, a picture editor. Um, I was in New York and he was kind of going back and forth between the two coasts and called me from L.A. saying, oh, I need an assistant editor. You want to, you know, be my first assistant on this project. So I came out to L.A. and on that show, um, uh because in New York at the time, like nobody, we, we weren't really doing temp dubs. Right. Um, and then he said, well, we need a temp score. And I'm like, what's that? And he's like, well, we need to put temporary music into the movie. And so I was like, oh, well, okay, I think I can do that because I, you know, I knew my way around the editing room, which was, it was on film then. So with yeah. technology was much more simple, but I kind of had a sense for how to cut music, you know, just because I was okay. Like this is, you know, sure. The end of a four-bar phrase, and this is the start of another four-bar yeah. phrase. These are going to go together very nicely. So um, then I sort of started doing that, and I was like, "Oh, well, this is kind of cool. I think I would like to pursue this." So that's fascinating. So let me go back to New York for a minute. When you were there, was it during uh, the Sound One days? And oh yeah. So because yeah. I yeah. was there, I was in New York from eighty-five till about ninety-two, and that's when I left. Yeah. I left in 86. You left in 86. Okay. So. Um, and the last thing, one of the last things I worked on was Desperately Seeking Susan mm-hmm. on the seventh floor of the Brill Building. Yeah. So then, okay. So you were there, you kind of, in LA just seemed like a, you had an opportunity and you just took it. Yeah. Well, someone called, you know, and offered me a gig. And so I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. And, and then. then uh, and you yeah. liked the music editing part. You started doing temp scores. Um, so while I did that, and then uh, it, uh, you know, it's always kind of a long story. Um, I guess I I did I did another couple of projects as a picture assistant, and then I was trying to get into the union out here, and that took a while. And um, you know, I mean, I met some people, and they're like, "Oh, well, you should call these people," and I called. Bob Batterby and Ken Carmen and, you know, various other people. And they're like, oh, well, you know, call me back if you're in the union. And so I finally got in the union. And I guess I, I did. Oh, I know. I got, I got hired as a, as a music assistant on a Canon movie. Mm-hmm. And um, I worked there for like seven or eight weeks. And that right at the time that they got organized and you had to have worked there, or maybe it was like six weeks. I think I worked there for like 36 days. And in order to 
get in the union, you had to have worked like within this 30 day window. And I pretty much hit it exactly. And there were people who'd been working there for years and like hadn't been there. So, so so yeah, I got in the union and then I called Bob Adam and he's like, Oh yeah. And he hired me as his assistant on broadcast news. Oh, wow. Um, And then Ken hired me as his assistant on earth girls are easy. But meanwhile, um, you know how animation kind of goes in fits and starts. Um, Roger Rabbit um, had, uh, Ken was on that uh, on and off, you know, because, you know, that's how animation is. And then, um, so we were doing Earth Girls Are Easy. And he said, then all of a sudden the phone rang and Roger Rabbit was like, okay, we're ready to go full guns. So he um, kind of became, you know, like a supervising music editor at a little bit of a distance and I got bumped up to you know like I was the editor and then I brought on another assistant on Earth Girls so Mm -hmm. um so that yeah and then after that then I started you know kind of working regularly as a music editor and you know sometimes doing temps sometimes doing finals sometimes doing both Yeah. yeah and then I um I had the good fortune to um to uh, get hired onto a project that um, George Fenton was scoring, and then there, then I, I did a bunch of films with George. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah, that was great. He's he's a wonderful guy. I worked with yeah. him on one film in New York, yeah. uh-huh. and uh, just loved loved it. Yeah, and he's amazingly talented. My gosh. Yeah, yeah. No, we're 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 friends. I, I haven't worked. We haven't worked together since. Um, I don't know, probably like the late mid to late nineties, but you know, we, we stay in touch and yeah. when I'm over there, he's here, we have, you know, a drink or breakfast oh, or something. Nice. Yeah. That's really yeah. nice. One of my a drink favorites. or breakfast, but never lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Before the day, end of day. Exactly. <laughs> One of my favorite scores of his is Anna and the King. Mm-hmm. Gosh, it's just gorgeous, gorgeous yeah. music. Well, all of this sounds really kind of serendipitous it just kind of happened oh, yeah. and fell into Absolutely. place and, Absolutely. yes and that's that in itself is amazing and then uh, sometimes well usually for me when things like that happen it kind of feels like you're in the right place right you're in this flow mm-hmm. um but tell me were there any hurdles for you things that you had to get past um i remember um well getting in the union was was a hurdle uh, and, it, and it took a while, and I, I never intended to stay in LA. Um, but then uh, the possibility of getting into the union happened. That happened fairly early. So I came out as a picture assistant for this one guy, and then I was like, oh, I'm interested in music editing. So I got hired on this Canon thing, and then they're like, okay, you're going to get in the union, but it's going to take a little while. And I sort of thought, well, I should stick around. To, while that happens, I shouldn't leave LA yet. And then mm. I should, even though they tell me in the union, I'm in the union, I should, I should wait and actually do one union film before I go back to New York. Yeah. So, so I did some other non-union maybe picture work, I guess. And then, and then I was like, but then I got hired onto broadcast news. I'm like, okay, great. Like now I've got like this union film under my belt. So I, I can always, I know I can always come back to LA if I want to. And then, you know, offers started coming and I just kind of, and at the time, which was, you know, late eighties, early nineties, it was really slow in New York. Yeah. And um, 
uh, so I just kind of, I figured, well, I might as well stay a little longer and then a little longer <laughs> turned into almost forever. And yeah. so, so that was one hurdle. And then I remember there was a time when I had worked like a year without stopping without like a, a you know anything except maybe a weekend off and I was like oh I gotta take some time and I remember um I don't know I got a somebody someone called and hey are you available and I'm like oh you know I've gotta I've gotta take a little time off and then things got really slow in LA mm. and my phone did not ring for like five or six months and uh -huh. I was kind of freaking out uh -huh. <laughs> um and I don't remember when that was early 90s I think but before that, I always thought in between jobs, you'd always get a little bit of nervous, a little nervous. Sure. And I and then I thought at that time, I'm like, don't worry about it. You always get worried in between jobs. Yeah. And then the phone rings and you realize that it was unnecessary to worry. So this time I'm not going to worry. And I didn't worry. And there was no call. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> so after that, I thought, OK, I better worry in right. between <laughs> and yeah but i better better be neurotic because the neurosis is clearly what is is bringing the work that one time when i was relaxed about it, it just did not work out that's the takeaway is it yeah. <laughs> that's um, great <laughs> yeah. and then there was a time when i kind of felt like um uh you know i mentioned that i had never intended to stay in la and i would go to new york or i'd go to london and then um, I kind of, I never really embraced LA mm -hmm. and I, uh, but I thought, well, if I move back to either of those places, you know, I mean, again, like New York, the rates at the time were a lot lower. There wasn't as much work and the rent was twice as much. So I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to work for half the pay for half the year and, mm -hmm. and have twice the rent. Mm -hmm. So if I want to leave LA, I thought I've got to figure out something else to do yeah and I didn't really know what I wanted to do so I went to business school uh -huh. um, back east for two years and I just thought well you know by serendipity I'll figure out in the, that period of time what I do want to do and I um uh I got it and then then I so I finished in in the year 2000 which was like the dot-com bust mm -hmm. and um uh, I had, uh, uh, like many of my classmates, I had an offer rescinded from a high-tech startup that was kind of, it was probably too early and they, they didn't succeed, but, um, you know, they were like into music streaming stuff. Um, and then I, uh, then I worked at another high-tech startup um, where my background might have been relevant. They were doing... Um, highly efficient, highly secure, distributed network storage. And so, um, you know, if you want to do encryption, it kind of takes a hit on the efficiency, but they kind of had a secret sauce for that. <clears throat> so they brought me on because they thought, you know, entertainment, rich media, and also, you know, like networked and people being able to work in lo different locations. And this was like the early 2000s. So mm -hmm. it was pretty early to be mm -hmm. trying to do that. But then they decided um, not to go um, for the uh, rich media and entertainment space as their first market. So I, I was working with them, but it was more kind of, um, how, how should I describe it? Um, 
they were interested in kind of uh, um, other markets besides besides entertainment, like mm-hmm. you know finance and pharmaceutical and stuff like that. And so I was I was employee number nine, and we grew to twenty five. And I was I forget I wore a few hats as one does at a startup, and it was a really great experience. Um, but they ran out of money, and then I decided I decided to come back to LA, and um, and then I was like, well, like I need to make some money. Were you able to keep your union status throughout that time? Uh, no, I, I, I had, and I rejoined the money and I was like, I rejoined the money. Yeah, I rejoined the money, <laughs> I rejoined the union. And, and, you know, someone was like, oh, hey, you know, we need a music editor. Okay, I'll do that. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember this. I kind of liked this. Wow. So, yeah. Isn't that so, interesting yeah. how, you know, you're in this place, you pop out of it, and then you come back and the, the door is open for you. And it, this is like, um, I, I, what am I trying to say? It's like, I've had similar experiences in my career where at the very beginning, um, it wasn't working out and I thought it just wasn't ever going to work out. And then the doors opened. And then after a while I pulled out and I was out for a number of years. And then I realized, you know, I want to go back in. And then the doors just opened right up again. And I realized this is really where I belong. This is, this is the place that um, seems to have given me favor. And I see that's very similar for you when you're telling me you've pulled out and you go back and it's like something, the phone calls again. Yeah. Yeah. I did have to kind of, uh, you know, work my way back to, to uh, kind of the status that I had had before. I mean, I had to take, you know, lesser jobs in terms of, you know, pay and prestige. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you were yeah. able to get right back in though, which is amazing because there are still people trying to get in. Yeah. And that, that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful thing. Um, uh, take me back for a minute. What did you learn in business school? What did that give you and how do you apply that today? <laughs> um, I learned a lot. I have forgotten a lot. <laughs> um, I don't really think that uh, I learned much that um, has helped me in music editing. Mm-hmm. I guess, uh, I don't know, maybe um, I started thinking about trends in technology um, in a little bit of a different way. Mm-hmm. Um and there was actually, uh, I can't remember what it was. There was something that I was kind of thinking about the other day, kind of like regarding sort of, you know, the sort of like the direction that things are going, but maybe maybe just simply to um, uh, have a little bit more of an awareness of kind of like the connectedness of things to, um, if, uh, you know, for example, just, uh, I, I mean, we, we all think about like trends in the economy and kind of like how that might affect us, but maybe it like slightly more of a, of a nuanced level. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a really terrific experience and I met a lot of incredible people and had, you know, I don't, I don't regret it. It was great. Mm. And I needed to, I needed to kind of step away for a while. I needed to get out of LA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but it's not like it's done that much for me 
in your you know, career now. Music yeah. yeah. Every part of our life has an experience. And I think that that feeds into us and who we are and shapes us and how we perceive life, much like what you're talking about in your earlier days. And I was just curious of what that, mm-hmm. what the business school did for you and how you see, you know, how it affects your life. Um, mm-hmm. When you were working as an assistant, was it tough to become an editor? Well, that was the thing. I, I think at, on the picture side at the time, yes. <clears throat> um, and so, you know, just this remarkable thing happened that Ken hired me as his assistant on Earth Girls Are Easy and he had to go do something else. And so then I was a music editor. Um, so, and that was just my third so I had officially been an assistant. I, you know, I had cut music on this one thing as a picture assistant, and then I was a, a music assistant for a few weeks on this little Canon movie, and then for broad, on, with Bob for you know quite a while on broadcast news, and then you know, I mean, I had not been a music assistant for very long before mm-hmm. I became an editor, and I think it was I don't know how much longer it would have taken, but I mean, Bob and Ken were very generous with their assistance. I mean, I know that um, if, if they, if their phone rang and they were busy, they would, you know, they've done that with their assistance. Well, you know, I, I'm not available, but you know, so-and-so is. So, mm. um, you know, I, I, I was fortunate to, um, to meet up with them, but yeah, that, that was, um, that was pretty lucky. Mm-hmm. And, um, and today we don't really have assistance anymore. The budget exactly. don't allow As you for were it. Saying, yeah. As you were saying a minute ago about like, um, you know, that I came back and I was able to get back into it relatively easy. And there's some people who still haven't been able to get into it. I mean, yeah, like there's no hardly, hardly anybody works with assistance anymore. Yeah. And so that was the way that, you know, all, most people got in. I think some people and now a little bit less. So I think some people got in by um, being a tech at uh, first at Modern Music mm. and now Formosa Music Group, but that was when they when they had two people because um, Andy, you know, was happy just you know holding that position. But I think there have been a number of people like Ryan, well Lisa Jaime mm-hmm. and Ryan Rubin and Jason Ruder to think of just a few. Mm-hmm. Um, they started as techs and you know then were hired as assistants and and then you know became music editors. Mm. But um, that's a really particular situation you know mm-hmm. that that job and now like i said there's only there's just andy there, there for a while there were two people but they cut it back to one so mm-hmm. yeah i don't know how people yeah and how and even if they're lucky enough to get a job where do they learn the sensibilities right you know i i would assume and you tell me that while you were working with ken and bob that you got to learn sensibilities like i would imagine they were teaching you how yeah, music absolutely. really works in a film. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I know that you're, you're, you're interviewing me, but I'm curious to, to know more about you. <laughs> what would you like to know? <laughs> well, so, so are you, you're, you're from New York? No, I'm actually from Boston, oh, okay. Massachusetts. And, uh, but my career, I, when I graduated from Berkeley College of Music, I came out to L.A., like everybody, here I am, and uh, wanted to. Um, I graduated with a composition degree, film composition degree, and um, with a minor. Like to have minors wasn't official, but we learned music editing, uh-huh. and um, and back then, of course, it was on on film, 
and uh, worked with moviolas and steambacks or flatbed moviolas. And uh, yeah. after a number of years, I, it just didn't work. I couldn't mm-hmm. get jobs. I couldn't get into the union and I couldn't get scoring jobs. Um, and after about three years, I left. I, I, was, uh, I had a, a child, uh, so I had a, a daughter. And uh, after about a year, it just, I was working at an architectural firm wow. running blueprints. Yeah. In in Burbank, so I lived in Glendale. Or what? No, it was actually in Glendale, and I lived in Glendale, and trying to take meetings for jobs when I could, and that kind of stuff. And I had a number of people trying to help me. It was really great, but it just the doors were not opening. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, I left and went back to Massachusetts, and had no idea what I was going to do, and started teaching at Berkeley. Go on. And then got a phone call from New York for a TV show. And they got my name from, it was a Paramount show. And they got my name from uh, one of the people at Paramount that I used to meet with periodically. Mm -hmm. I was that guy that would take an empty film can, go and say, I have a delivery and go meet with the music people. (laughs) And you could do that back then. (laughs) You can't do that today, but yeah. I'd shove the film can in the bushes and then <laughs> go meet with people. And then I come back, grab the film can, wow. and I leave. And um, wow, that's a great story. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and I wish I could remember uh, the last name, but it was Bob, and I just can't remember his last name at Paramount. But he was the one that gave me the opportunity. And when I called mm-hmm. to thank him, he said, "You know, I'm sorry we couldn't help you in L.A., but I'm glad we could help you in New York." Wow. And so I took the job. And um, that was a mid-season replacement TV series. And that then went into, um, so when that finished, one of the picture editors on the series went on to do a, a, a movie and asked if I wanted to do it with him. And um, so I went with him to do that movie and it was a low budget independent feature. And that was Dirty Dancing. Oh, wow. And then... My career, it's like I had a career. So um, I was very fortunate because I did bypass a lot of the apprentice years because I came in as a music editor, got into the union in New York on that TV show, and then did Dirty Dancing. And um, and I was kind of, I wouldn't say on my way, but I had some street credits now and that's how it was and yeah. so all those years still I wanted to compose <laughs> but uh-huh. the music editing was like you know that's what was calling so yeah so I spent a lot of uh-huh. years working in New York yeah and uh, I, I I still feel like New York is more my home than than I feel like in LA LA feels like a temporary situation that's kind of t- feeling permanent and that's freaking me out a little bit. <laughs> it's like, you know. I, I, I feel you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's how it got, I got started. Kind of like that's uh-huh. a, an, ex, a, a, an extended story shortened. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's how, it, uh, that's how I ended up. And I had a lot of uh, very fortunate uh, to have people who gave me opportunities. Yeah. And uh, I'm forever grateful for those people. Um, in my podcast, I actually do bonus episodes where I do tell my story. Uh-huh. And um, 
I'm actually due to do a bonus episode because I left them at some place where I, I don't know where I was when I left. Because <laughs> uh-huh. I, you know, I had a number of ups and downs, you know, right. like I'm in, then I'm out. And what did I do during that time? Then I get back in. Um, then I had opportunities to compose and wrote underscore music on American Sniper and then did music oh, wow. for Alpha. So, uh, yeah, so it's been an interesting journey and the whole purpose really is to encourage others on their journey mm-hmm. is to like your life. There's going to be somebody out there who's going to resonate with what you have to say, how you unfolded mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that, that time in college was intriguing to me. I'm really curious about that. And I'm sure somebody is going to go, yeah, I was that in academia th- part of their brain check kicks in and here you are working in the arts and uh and i and i do need to bring this up and and sally you're free to just not even answer but it is kind of a man's world there in what in this and music editing and um and just in editing in general has that been an issue for you or a hurdle or not even an issue i would say not even an issue um I think in, in, there are a lot more women in post um, than there are in production. And I have rarely been aware of being the only woman. Um, and if I have been, it's been a more um, uh, sort of dispassionate observation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh I mean, you know, there have been times that maybe I was the only woman on a crew, but then invariably you have, um, uh, you know, exposure during the course of any project to people, you know, outside of just sort of like the post-production crew. So, um, yeah, I never, it never occurred to me. Mm. Um, my first project, the, fir- the first thing I got hired on from the upstairs and across the street neighbors one of the picture editors was a woman. There was a guy, the director was a man. There was a, a male and female uh, picture editors, male and female assistant editors, and a woman sound editor. And then the next job I did, the uh, director was cutting it herself, but that was a woman. And then we got a man, male editor. And then I, he kept me on as the, we got some money. Um, I guess that was what I got into the union on. I can't remember. But anyway, he had a, a female first assistant editor. So, uh, and then at the Brill Building, there was, I mean, I, there were so many women yeah. in post. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, L.A. was different just, um, you know, physically, uh, because in New York, in the Brill Building, you know, you're all there kind of like on the, th- at the time it was like, I think the third floor, the sixth floor, and the seventh floor, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh and in LA, everything is so kind of spread out. And I can't remember the first show that I did on a on, on a lot. But I mean, even the, the Canon film there. I mean, there were always uh, lots of women mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, it was not an issue. I heard a, a rumor that 
Um, it was kind of ridiculous because like I had only had like three jobs in my life at that time or something. And, and a guy who was, um, wanted the apprentice position that I got was saying, Oh, I had slept my way into every job I had always gotten, you know, you know, which was, I mean, which I know even took seriously because Mm. it was like, Oh, I slept my way into the other two jobs that I had before you know, it was like, it was just, you know, sour grapes. And, you know, Mm -hmm. so that was like, but so that you just dismissed it. Yeah. I think that's great. I wanted to ask, and I, I appreciate you, you know, yeah. I know there have been others that have had uh, some difficulty because of their gender. And I know it's not, you know, we're supposed to not have issues. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. No, uh, and I, I have heard other, other people who have had stories. And actually it was interesting. I'm trying to think um, a few years ago, I don't know, maybe four or five, six years ago, I was on a project and we had some, um, technical things to figure out. And I was talking about them with the mixed tech who was a younger guy. Mm-hmm. And there were some technical things that I knew surprisingly that he didn't because he was great. Mm-hmm. And he, he was just like, Oh, okay, cool. Thanks. Awesome. Like he just kind of like took it in stride. And I remember at the time it struck me that an older that, that maybe there was, I don't know that it was necessarily ever spoken. And if anything, it only ever worked to my advantage. But I was surprised that I, I realized that an older person in his role might have said, wow, that's pretty good that you know that for a girl. Mm. And that even, even if no one had ever said that, that again, to the extent that it might have happened, I think it maybe worked to my advantage because people, men of an older generation would be impressed with my um, technical knowledge where they wouldn't have been impressed by a man with the same right, knowledge. Right. And so they never um, dismissed me, oh, you know, except once, um, now that I think about it, uh, because, oh, silly girl, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. But because I did know what I was talking about, it made more of an impression than, but with, but with the younger generation, and I've noticed this now more and more with, with younger mixed texts, mm. there's no, they are used to dealing with women who are um, as uh, proficient technically as they are, mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't cross their minds. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a long story there there was, and it was actually, yeah, it's not kind of worth going into, but there was one, there was a recordist who, um, made a big mistake because he thought I had made a big, a mistake. Oh, so he wanted Um, to blame you on it. (laughs) He, he kind of, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a long story. It's not worth going. That's fine. That's okay. Yeah, Yeah. 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 Um, but he thought I had made a mistake and therefore he made a big mistake. Mm. And he never asked, he never asked me. He just, right. he made it just, yeah. He anyway. just made an assumption. Yes. Yeah. That I overlooked something. something. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. You yeah. know, as we get to a close here and as you look back, what would you offer as advice to anybody who's listening who wants to advance themselves, not just as music editors, but as people who are expressive and in the arts? 
What are your thoughts there, given your journey? Um, that is a big question. <laughs> uh, I guess um, one kind of like bird's eye view question that comes to mind is, which we kind of touched on a little bit earlier, finding a balance between um, working in um, the, a medium that you're passionate about and being able to make a living doing that mm -hmm. while still feeling okay about, um, about the projects that you're working on. So, you know, at what point are you say, selling out in order to make like you're, you know, you're a musician, you're a composer and you're doing like a projects that are say like against your kind of like mm. ideological or like political beliefs, or they're just kind of like not very good. And you're sort of having to, you're, you're using your talent to produce um, art that's uh, not particularly to your liking. So mm -hmm. to kind of, find a balance between that. I mean, I worked, I've worked on, I've worked on some great films and I've worked on some terrible films yeah. that I'm embarrassed to say that I worked on them for. And I, but I needed, you know, needed the money. And there's always like something that good that comes out of them. But I think um, looking back, maybe that has actually been something that I've kind of, you know, struggled with the fact that like I've worked on, on a lot of films that I would never have paid two cents to mm -hmm. go to see. Mm -hmm. Uh, so as by way of advice is to, you know, for someone facing that dilemma to two things, I guess one is that, and I don't know, and maybe, maybe somebody would say that this is kind of a cop out as well, but I felt like there was always something good to find in pretty much every situation. Uh, one of the things that I love about what we do is the people and the relationships and you're kind of in the trenches with people and mm -hmm. you you kind of form these great bonds and, and um, you know, people come and go in our lives. Um, people who we love come and come and go mm -hmm. in our lives. Mm -hmm. We just, you can't kind of like keep in touch with everyone. And, and then maybe you'll kind of like cross paths with them again down, down the road. But um, so there's, there's that. And then there's also just, you know, fi finding um, to try to remember to kind of like find a kind of equilibrium and and if you feel like something is lacking in one part of your life or your world or you know your work to cultivate something else that's mm -hmm. going to balance that um, mm. that's really good advice and it's something that based on your story i can see you've done that well yes I, 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 yeah i've tried and also with our schedules it's often really hard to you know so if you're working 10, 11, 12 hours a day, you know, you, you can't take that cooking class once a week at, 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 at six o'clock, you know, or, yeah. you know, like I've planned a vacation and, oh, yeah. oh, our schedule has been extended by two weeks. <laughs> you know, like those plane tickets. So, yeah, I, I, I think that that it's actually, you know, a, a, a challenge of, of our work and to sort of like, I don't have the answer, but to sort of like be mindful of, you know, like mm. to try and keep things in perspective and to make an effort to, mm -hmm. uh, to see like, okay, this is what's happening. And I, therefore I need to find a, a strategy to kind of keep it in perspective. So yeah. make an adjustment yeah. as you go. Yeah. And then the other, other thing I'll just say quickly, it's just kind of come to mind. Uh, you know, there've been times when I haven't went out in between jobs 
And, uh, you know, I mean, you always kind of like find stuff to do, but it's funny, like, and then you're like, okay, well, I'm ready to work. And, you know, there's only so much that you can do at home. Like you, you need a project in order to, you know, be a music editor. And so to like, not sort of have that, you know, define your identity. Mm. And um, after, uh, well, I actually decided um, the day after election day in 2016, that, um, that if I wasn't working in October of 2020, I decided that whoever was running against Donald Trump, I was going to work on their campaign. <laughs> and as it happened, I finished the project uh, right around Labor Day. And then I was like, okay, now I'm going to do this because I was just going out of my mind. I was, you know, really mm-hmm. busy. I'd been working long hours. And so I got into that and I actually did turn down two jobs. Um, even I was like, um, I've got to do this until the election. I think it's helped me like, and so, yes, now I, I haven't worked since Labor Day and, you know, so I'm ready to get back to work and, you know, kind of need to work, but putting myself so wholeheartedly into something else that was very rewarding mm. helped me not have that feeling of, of having my whole identity being married to work. In other words, the feeling of like, who am I? If I'm not working, I don't know who I am. And then having something else that I could, you know, could really roll my sleeves up and, you know, get my hands dirty in, um, has helped with like, yes, I'm ready and willing, happy to get back to work, but I don't feel like, um, I don't know who I am if I'm not working. So. Yeah. That's really wonderful, uh, to, to bring that up because I think a lot of us find our identity in what we do. Yeah. And, and our jobs are so all encompassing that uh, it's, it's easy to lose your identity and to make it about your credits. And in living in Hollywood, it's everywhere. Like in yeah. New York, one of the things that I loved about working in New York is that, you know, you work really hard, but there are other things that are going on in the city Yeah, that it just wasn't about the movie machine. Right. And so you could find life. Exactly. And here it's harder. You have to get out of town. You have to find something else. Like that's, yeah. for, that's, that's for us anyway. We have to, you know, at least twice a year, get out of town. Yeah. Um, and in New York, you would have way more friends who weren't in the industry. Yeah. And then, and you go to a cocktail party here and like, oh, what are you working on? Who are you, oh, what do you do? What do you want? And in New York, no, you know, you just sort of like get into sort of like ideas and things or, you know, like nobody asks you like, what do you do? You yeah. know, it's like, Oh, did you see this or have you read that? Or like, Oh, I heard, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I, I missed that fullness, that roundedness of life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was offered because you're absolutely right. You go to anything here, cocktail party, or it's usually with colleagues or people that you don't know and you're meeting and it does become, Oh, what do you do? And it's that's, and it, it just bumps up against status all the time. Yeah. And, um, and of course, what does that do to you? That makes you start going, well, what is my status? Who am I? (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's like, you don't want to look at that. I just want to meet somebody and talk about something that's, you know, other than. So that's really great advice. Um, and I love that you do that, that you're doing that for yourself. That's really smart to pull back and, and do something different. That's fulfilling. Yeah. Sally, thank you for taking your time. 
and yeah. and spending it with me. And I look forward to the day that we can actually not do Zoom and we can talk further. <laughs> well, certainly by the holiday party next year, and maybe there'll be a summer party once we're all vaccinated and herd immunity and whatever. Right. Uh, I'm sure that there'll be there'll be some some in-person gatherings that people will flock to. Yeah, I look forward to those days. Yeah, yeah, great, great. All right, thank you, Sally. Thank you. All right, we'll talk soon. Okay, all right, see ya. You know, so many times at the end of a pivot point, I want to go and dig deeper into people's journeys. Don't ask me why. But I'm not going to do that with this. What I am going to say is, my brother told me this story once. He read a book about this multi-million dollar television studio that was run by a nun. And this nun was interviewed and they asked her, how did a nun ever get to be running a multi-million dollar television studio? And her answer was... I just walked through the doors that were opened for me. Isn't that the way life can be? I I just think that it provides us opportunities. And of course, you know, if if it's not the right door, you can always go back. And that's what Sally's pivot points were like for me. All right, next week on the show is going to be a Jedi. Now, it's not like those high profile Jedis that you automatically think about. And I have to say, it's almost a done deal. Just a couple of more things to iron out, but I feel good about it. All right, remember, if she's doing it, why not you? Hold up. 